Heavenly Father, we just commit this time into your hands, and we, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the work of the cross and calling us. We thank you for giving us your word that we might know you. Father, we, we just ask that today that your word would speak to us and, and we would grow deeper in our knowledge of you and our trust of you and our relationship with you, that we would have hearts open to hear what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it was good to see Pastor Van here this morning. And as Pastor Van was preparing and knowing that the surgery would be coming up soon um, to donate his kidney to his sister-in-law, thinking through the process, he expected that he would be out three weeks. And so he thought, well, it'd be neat to have uh, Mark, our youth pastor, do a, a sermon and session on our youth ministry and the importance of youth ministry. And then Tim Laymaster, our children's director, to do a session on our children's ministry. And, uh, you know, they both did outstanding jobs. And then uh, one of my responsibilities is our young adults. We call it basic brothers and sisters in Christ. It's post high school through 20 something and have uh, a, a message on that. But I, I did want to stop a moment and give Mark just a little bit of kudos. Um, this place looks completely different than it did last night. They had a laser tag event in here last night. So everything was gone. They had a smoke machine in here, filled the place up with smoke and and barriers and all this stuff, and they had a blast. But the smoke kept setting off the fire alarm. (laughs) So they had to keep resetting that, telling the fire department, no, everything's fine, don't come. But then we found out that the smoke detectors, when they go off, they shut down the heating and cooling system, which was fine for them last night, but we were a little concerned about this morning. might be a little cold if we didn't get the heating and air running again. So we had to wait for the fog to dissipate enough that when you would turn the system on, it wouldn't turn the alarm back on, because every time they tried to turn the heating and air on, the fire alarm would go back off. And it would shut it all back down. Well, I found out this morning, because I left, (laughs) that Mark was here until 2 o'clock in the morning, waiting for it to clear enough so that we would have heat. So be thankful for the heat that you have this morning. And if you're a little cold, you could be a lot colder. So I am thankful for, for the ministry that he's doing. And then Tim did a great job with his sermon last week. Uh, you know, the number of little kids that come to the gospel and the statistics of later reaching people is such an important ministry. So as I was thinking about what to do today and thinking about the young people and um, the young adults that I deal with, uh, the most predominant question that always comes up that they deal with a lot whether they say it or think it, there we go, is how do I determine the will of God for my life? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to go to college? Am I supposed to take a gap year? Am I even to go to college? What job should I pursue? Where should I live? And it's true that during that age time, statistically, we make a lot of decisions, more so than any other period of our life usually, that affects the long-term aspects of our life. So it's a good question to ask, what is God's will for me? How do I determine God's will for me? Well, part of that question 
has a little bit of a fear factor to it, doesn't it? It's like, well, I don't want to mess up what God has for me. I don't want to make a mistake in God's plan for my life. I want to do his will, but I just don't know what it is. I can't figure it out. And you know, that's true for more than just our college students and, and young adults, isn't it? It's true for all of us. It's something that we all deal with in different levels at different times. Should I move? What job should I have? Where should I put my retirement money? What should I do with the gifts, the money that I have? Even our missionaries on the field, what ministry should I be focused in? What's God's will for me here? Should I come off the field? Is that God's will for me? These are questions that we all will ask and deal with in our lives. And sometimes it's, it is hard to know the will of God. You know, was it the will of God for Pastor Van to give his kidney to his sister-in-law? I think we would all probably, th- most of us would say, yeah, that was, there was not even a question. He, well, he's a great man of God. He's our pastor. He knows. What about me? You know, people have asked me as well, how did you know it was God's will for you to go to Africa for six months? Well, the truth is when Tom first asked me if I would join him, I told him, no, nah, I can't do that. But then I heard that still, small voice, my wife. <laughs> and she said, you shouldn't dismiss this so early. And we prayed about it. And while we were on vacation, took a couple of weeks there. And, and that feeling, that desire was there and it grew. And so I talked to Pastor Van about it and then the elder board about it. And he just confirmed the steps as we went. But it is difficult at times. I wish it worked a little different. You know, I've heard it said that it's kind of like playing the lottery. I don't play the lottery. But there's, you know, when it's billions of dollars or whatever it is, all these people play, but only a few actually win. And that's kind of how God's will is. We're all kind of searching for God's will for my life, but there's only a few that really find it. But that's not what scripture teaches. Now I do at times even said I wished it was like God would just speak to me. And I would hear his voice. And be like walking with me in the cool of the evening like he did with Adam in the garden. And just tell me. But that's not how God reveals himself today. We're in what we call a different dispensation. Dispensations is just the way that God has revealed himself throughout history. Revealing more of himself The last dispensation we call the law. That's where they lived under the Ten Commandments. That was fulfilled. The law was fulfilled with Christ. And now we live under what we call the age of grace. Or the church age. And in this age, God has given us a great gift. His word. The Bible. And it's complete. And he reveals himself to us through his word. His word is how he speaks to us today. So I have some truths that we need to recognize or understand in order to determine the will of God in our lives. So the first truth that I want us to understand is that God's will has different, if you will, components to it. If you give me some liberty this morning, I want to divide God's will into like three sections as we need to come to a common place of reference of what we're going to be dealing with. The first aspect or component of God's will is his purposeful will. God has a 
purposeful will. He, why am I in the wrong place? Sorry. There it is. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Isaiah 46. God's purpose cannot be stopped. He purposed his will to create the earth. He purposed to create man in his image. Those things were done. And he purposed to create you. And he created you with a purpose. And, of course, that's where we're trying to head today. Well, then what's my purpose? How do I know what my purpose is? Well, you've got to stay with me to the end for that answer. God also purposed to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, to make a way for our sins to be forgiven and us to be in a right relationship with him. God purposed for Christ to return. And he will, and there's nothing that can stop that. And God's plan tells us that he'll reign for a thousand years on this earth, and he's going to make a new heaven and earth. Those are all part of God's purposeful will, that nothing can stop. His way is going to happen. We can count on it. It's clear, and it's done. But then there's a second aspect, besides his purposeful will that I will call his general will or his permissive will. His permissive will are things that he has made clear to us through his word. Things that teach us how we should live as Christians. Things that we need to know according to his plan for all of us. Some of it they refer to as his desires. God desired for Israel to be saved. He wept when Jerusalem didn't come to him. God desires for all men to come. He desires for us not to sin. So that part of God's will, his purpose, is something that we can disobey. It is directly revealed to Scripture, but it is things that we can disobey, but not without consequence, because God's plans are always the right way. But he has revealed a lot to us on how we should live according to his will, his general will in Scripture. And then the third one is his specific will, his specific will for your life. Um, And that's kind of what we're really driving at today, the question that we're looking at. God's will for my life. How do I know what that is? Well, I want you to turn to 1 Peter today, chapter 4, as we look at this text. The first launching point is understanding these aspects and the aspect that we're looking at God's will as it applies to us. But then also that implies another aspect that we need to be together on, and that is that you need to be saved. You need to know God in order to know God's plan for your life. If you don't know God, you're not going to know God's plan for your life. And to know God, the only way to know God is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that he died that he was buried, that he rose again, that he defeated death, that his shed blood paid the penalty and the price for your sin. So you need to believe that he's God's one and only son, that he died on the cross and rose again, and that he paid the price for your sins and accept that free gift so that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin. That's the only way to be saved. There is no other way. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough things. No other religion. One and only way. 
So we're going to take that as a launching point. I will say that probably 99% of the young people I talk to that's asking what is God's will for my life are Christians. They would claim to be Christians. They believe in Christ. There is that occasional person that comes that is a doubter, maybe grown up in church and trying to figure out what God's will is but doesn't have a relationship with God. So we've got to point them back to that. We've got to start with having a relationship with God. So we're going to take it from the point of having a relationship with God, that somebody that is a Christian and seeking to know what God's will is for their life. Follow along with me, please, as I read 1 Peter chapter 4. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless adultery. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they may live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything, that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You say, that's kind of a strange passage for me to understand God's will for my life. But I believe there's some valuable golden nuggets here that can answer those questions and head us 
down that path. So the second truth that I have is that we need to understand the will of God for our life is we need to understand that there is a battle that is waging inside of us. As a Christian, we have a battle. It says, do not live no longer for human passions. We have a propensity to sin. We have a sin nature. And when you get saved, that sin nature doesn't go away. But the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us strength. We have desires in some ways for debauchery. We have a deceitful heart that can lead us astray. Which again is why it's so important that we're rooted in God's word. Because it's not what you think or how you feel. It's what his word says. You know, I have people say, well, God just wants me to be happy. So I'm going to do this because God wants me to be happy. Well, if it goes against God's word, that isn't what God wants. So we know what God wants. Although we deceive ourselves at times into thinking other things just because it's our human passions. But it says, don't live for your human passions. Live for the will of God. Well, that's what I want to do. That's what we're talking about. How do I know, though? Well, if you're saved, again, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and it will give you the power. And you can read through verses 5 and 6 there about the judgment coming, meaning the second coming of Christ. So we have this great hope of the return of Christ coming, and that's something that we have that we can hang on to, and knowing that we have the hope that he has for us to be with him forever. And that means not that we just sit around in a house and close up all the doors and windows and look out the people waiting for Jesus to come. We're to be in the world. We're to share what God has done. We're to be obedient to his scripture. I was told once about the way that we live in the world. You know, we're not to be part of the world, but we have to be in the world. And it's like being in a ship. When the ship is in the water, it works great. When the water is in the ship, it doesn't work so great. And that's kind of the picture of being in the world. Is we are set apart, we are different, but we are in the world and we're sharing and being obedient to his word and what he has to say for us. But this idea of the will of God, uh, verse 6 says a little bit about living in the spirit, but that's, that's more about that we were dead before we were saved, dead spiritually, alive spiritually. But I think over in Ephesians 5, 7 and 18, it helps us a little bit. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I like that the ESV uses the word foolish, but looking at some of the original text and the meaning kind of behind it, um, they're saying it nicely. He was pretty direct. He basically was saying, don't be stupid. Know what the will of God is. I'm like, oh, man, I must be really stupid because I struggle knowing what the will of God is. It says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, I thought when I got saved, I was filled with the Spirit. I thought when I got saved, I received the Holy Spirit, and it filled me up. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. That means immersed. I'm completely filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that true? Yes, that is true. But that's not what we're talking about here in this verse of being filled. This idea of being filled isn't necessarily a pouring in and filling up a cup. It is a being controlled by, being completely immersed in, being completely driven by the Holy Spirit. God's Word, God Himself living in our life, 
controlling us, being filled with the Spirit. It's not a balance where I got 50% control and God got 50% control and we're just getting along great because we have this balanced life. He controls these things. I, I like to hang on to these. It's all of God and none of me. It's, that's the sanctification process, right? Putting off these desires, these human desires, releasing them to God and putting on Christ-likeness, working that out. We need to be constantly engaged in this battle, becoming more like Christ, putting off these things, being what God would have us be because of his word and what it teaches us. So the third truth then is we understand what aspect we're talking about God's will and that you need to be saved. And that means we need to be filled with the spirit. Then we need to ask, how do I really get filled with the spirit? I mean, I'm filled with the spirit when I'm saved, but what does that controlling means? Well, number one is we need to seek him first. Seek him first. Matthew six thirty three. Seek God. And all these things will be added. Seek God. You know, it's no longer I live, but Christ that lives in me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and mind. My citizenship is not on earth. It's in heaven. These are all things about seeking God. I relate it back to the dating process or even the the early marriage. When you find that special girl or that good guy, where does your mind go? What do you think about? You think about that person. You think about being with that person when you're apart. You, you think about things you can do for that person. And, and that consumes your thought. Well, that's kind of seeking God. God is first. We think about God. We think about our relationship with God. We think about what God has done for us. We think about our love for God because he loved us and how much he forgave us and what he's doing for us. We're seeking God in all that we do for him to be glorified, for him to be honored. We're trying to follow according to his word, seeking God, living continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit by letting the word of God control us, his word. John MacArthur once said, about having that red button in his bedroom. And he wished when he was thinking, thinking about ministry, thinking about life, that if it was a thought that came from God, the light would go on. And if it was a thought that he had, then the light wouldn't be on. And that's what we struggle with, isn't it? It is, is this from God or is this my desire? And that's where we are struggling with How do I know if it's God's will? How do I know if this is what God wants or if this is just me? And we will constantly fight that. But if we live a spirit-filled life, we can trust that our desires are going to change and his desires are going to become our desires. And one of the ways that we get that spirit-filled life is through prayer. Prayer is a vital part. I mentioned before when I came back from Africa that prayer became much deeper for me because I had to depend on God so much more there in things that I had no control over, like I have control. And here things are easy a lot. We have things readily available. But I need to depend on God just as much in my life here. And we need to be people of prayer. But it says in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded. 
to the end of all things is at hand, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What does that mean? Remember in that verse in Ephesians that I had up in there before it said to be filled with the Spirit, it says don't get drunk with wine. Well, that's kind of a strange place to put don't, get, don't be drunk with wine. Well, if you understand the context of the day, they were coming out of this pagan religion, and this pagan religion would actually teach and practice getting drunk, and when you're drunk, somehow you can better commune with God and the deities. And that some of that was carrying it over. But we see that in our culture too, don't we? All different ways, either through drugs or, or you got to work yourself up into a certain trance in order to be closer to God and hear God. But that's not what God's word says. It says be sober-minded and self-controlled. Thinking about his word, thinking about the light of eternity with God and the direction that he's got. It's, it's the opposite of those other things. Now, don't misunderstand me. God made emotions. God made us to have pleasure. God made us to have the emotion of being sad. And when you're, when you're sad and you're mourning, it says cry out to God. And when you're rejoiceful, rejoice in the Lord. These are God's emotions that he has given us, emotions that God has given us. And that is not what I'm talking about. We can have those emotions in prayer, but we're to be self-controlled and sober-minded. And then, do you believe God's word is true? Can you count on God's word? If you truly believe that, then you also know that God answers prayers. James 1, 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it, and he will give it to you abundantly. And then there's Matthew 7 and 8. says, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you, to you. For everyone who asks receives, and there is one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. That chapter continues to say, you know, how much you would, as a father, give good gifts to your kids, how much more is your heavenly father going to give to you? That is God pretty much saying to you, he answers your prayers. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, now he doesn't say he's going to answer it the way you want it answered. But he does say that he's going to answer prayers. And we can count on his word to do that. So when we're seeking his word, we know one thing, that his word is his from the Holy Spirit. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. His word can be trusted. It is from the Holy Spirit, which is God, and we know that we can stand and count on what it says. So again, it becomes the authority in our lives for all things, knowing his word. It is a call for us to be obedient, a call for us to be obedient to his general will. So one of the things I would say to somebody seeking God's will in their life is stop worrying about what has not been revealed when you are not obeying what has been revealed. If you're not following what God's word says to start with, why do you expect him to show you what his plan is for your life? We need to be obedient in that which we know. And seek God and all these things will be added to you. So we need to be obedient to his word. Not just hearers, but 
doers. So we need to be actively engaged in applying God's word to our life. And that's a sanctification process that we're going to constantly be going on, putting off our human, putting on Christ-likeness, following God's plan as he has revealed it. That has to come first because he will answer our prayers. So we need to be filled with the Spirit, which means we need to seek him, and we need to seek him through prayer, and we need to seek him through his word that calls us to obedience. And his word teaches us also to seek counsel. When we're looking for God's will for our lives, we are to seek the counsel. Psalms 15.22 tells us there's um, wisdom in the counsel of many so that your plans don't fail. So getting counsel, godly counsel, is also an important part of seeking God's will. So if you are saved and living a spirit-filled life through prayer and his word and instruction from others, then his desires will become your desires. Psalm 37, I guess that one's harder to read. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires that you have. Why? Because your desires now are changed to be his desires. His desires become our desires, so the desires that we have, he's given us because it's what he has for us. That sounds complicated, but it's really not. If you're seeking after God, if you're living under the control of the Holy Spirit in your life, his desires become your desires. Well, how do I know? How am I sure if that happens? Well, there are some evidences. There are some fruit that should be seen in your life if you are living a spirit-filled life. So if you're living a spirit-filled life, it says, above all, keep loving one another. Earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. We're to love one another. That should be a fruit of our lives. Love covers many offenses. We're also to show hospitality without complaining. That's the hard part. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> right? We have that at no. We should have this love for one another. Show hospitality. And then you know, when we got saved, God also gave us spiritual gifts. We all have a spiritual gift. And our gifts are to be used, as it says here, for the edification of the body, for one another, for others. They're not for ourselves. They're for others. And that's another way that we show God's love. Because through all these things, when we do them, then God will be glorified. When we serve him, he is glorified in this way. But also it goes on to say, when we serve him, sometimes you might suffer because of it. Because you'll take a stand for God, people can malign you. You might not be that popular. And even as I saw in Africa, you could be killed because you're a Christian. But he says, if it's for Christ... It's all worth it. So I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel where you follow Christ and everything's going to be great, but we can have joy in all those things because God has a plan and a purpose for our life. We say, well, that's great. We spent all this time, and I agree with that, but you really didn't help me determine God's will for my life. Well, we're called to know him. We're called to follow him. 
And we're called to surrender to him. We know him through salvation. We follow him with a spirit-filled life through prayer and knowing his word. And we surrender our lives to him. We make him the Lord of our lives in all areas of our life. Then God will reveal what he has for you. Then you can trust what you're saying, what you're thinking is the right path to go. I would say Pastor Van didn't think too much about is this the will of God for his life because he's living a life that is surrendered to God and he had this, this is the thing to do, this is right to do and I don't think any of us would question that but it was confirmed through other steps as well but he was a match, I mean that's an amazing thing right there, right? But the idea is he trusted his instincts because he's living for God and God will close and change those paths and those doors. So here's one of the things that I'll say, something John MacArthur said. Go do whatever you want. The will of God for you is to go do whatever you want. If you're surrendered to God, living a spirit-filled life, serving him, putting Christ first in your life, being obedient to his word, letting it control your actions, seeking godly counsel in prayer, in reading the word, then you can have confidence that God is going to direct those steps. And God will use all these things in your life to point you where he wants you to be. You can't mess it up when you're following God. Trust him. I want to close with the last verse. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future of hope. God has only our best in mind because he loves us that much. And what he has for you is best for you. And you can trust him with it. Be in his word. Know that God loves you and that he wants what's best for you and he will give you a future of hope. Whatever those circumstances are, our citizenship is with him. Our minds are with him. We're seeking him first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the simple reminders here of sometimes a difficult thing to know your will for our lives. May we be living in such a way that we're totally surrendered to you, that we are following your revealed will for us to do the things that your word says for us to do and then trust that you will guide our steps from there. Help us as we wage this battle of putting off our human desires and living in the spirit, living in your will. Father, may we seek you first with all of our hearts and make you the Lord of our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed.